Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hey, this is Margarita Monet from Edge of Paradise, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey, welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast. My name is Mark Striegel. I'm so glad you've joined me here for tonight's episode. We have a great interview with Margarita from Edge of Paradise. We also are going to be hearing some music, and we're going to be talking about Wendy O. Williams. Today, my co-host is Joe Becht. Joe, how are you? I'm doing great. How you doing? How you doing, Mark? Good. I'm I'm great. I'm great. We were trying to get the Skype thing going, and that just wasn't happening. So we got you uh, checking in on the cell phone. It sounds pretty good. So right. let's. Uh, I you know I first uh, you had reached out to me in an email, and we were we were talking via email, and then I feel like I really got to know you a little better when I heard you on the, the Decibel Geek Show, which was about a month ago or so, back in February, I think. And I just thought it was such a great discussion and really thought you knew your stuff and wanted to definitely get you on an episode of Talking Metal. So so thanks thanks for joining me. No, thanks for having me. The pleasure is all mine. I really uh, really enjoy your show and um, I'm excited about this. Cool. Well, one one crazy thing, and I want to talk about this right off the, the bat, is... When we were sharing emails together, you sent me an article you wrote on Gene Simmons, which uh, I thought was just a great read. But in the article, you mentioned the, I would call it, rather famous Chicagoland record store, Rose Records, specifically the Down, Downers Grove location, because I believe there were a few different locations right. for Rose Records. And I mean, that you yeah. you used to go to Rose Records, I, and I used to, you know, because I went to Hinsdale Central High School, 
for eighth grade through through the end of high school. I was actually in the junior high for eighth grade, and then Hinsdale Central for ninth, tenth, and eleventh, and twelfth. And I mean, that's where I got all my my concert tickets. That's where I bought, you know, Power Slave the day it came out. That's where I would ride my bike. It would take me like forty five minutes to get there on bike to 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 buy stuff. And I, I remember. The rat trap on the back of the bike. I'd be like, you know, riding my bike down Ogden Avenue, cutting through Clareton Hills over to 55th Street. You know, going against traffic with with new record releases. I mean, that was that was the <laughs> that was the place. Um, what are some of your yeah, memories of that of that record store? Well, that was the closest uh, one to where I lived at the time, and we actually struck up a friendship with the manager there, I believe his name was Jim Salaby, and he was a really interesting guy. He managed the store. I, I have no idea whatever happened to him, but uh, really cool. He always got the latest releases in. Like, the Mecca to go to in the area for uh, imports and heavy metal was was Rolling Stone, Right. but that was quite a ride for um, me. But Rose Records was probably second place for getting the latest releases and Jim really knew his stuff and he managed the store real well and he was involved with some local bands and we actually were able to uh, through our friendship with him he actually got us backstage for a Dio show and they played at the Aragon Ballroom Wow! on his first tour on the Holy Diver yeah so that was pretty cool we, you know, we, we actually met Ronnie and talked to Viv Campbell got yelled at by the late great Jimmy Bain for wow. eating their uh <laughs> eating from the deli platter. Oh, nice. Um, no, yeah, they, yeah. Rose was Rose was a cool place to go, um, and that was definitely the place to go in the western suburbs. The fact that you you just described your I know exactly the path you took, and that is quite a treacherous ride for a bike for a kid to go on his bike and to carry records. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I'm I mean, you're still alive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, seriously, I mean, the things my my freaking parents let me do. It's like I'm a dad now. I mean, I got two younger kids, six and eight. But it's like my my eight year old. I can't imagine. I mean, I started riding my bike there when I was like four, thirteen years old, thirteen, fourteen years old, and it was just like you know, I'd leave before lunch, and it was just like bye, mom, and you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't come home until like you know dinner time, if if then. It you know which is opens up a whole other discussion. It's like what we did for this music, and it, it's you know something I don't want to get, go really into right now. But music for us, and and I'm sure I'm making us sound like old guys, which I suppose we are. But you know it was it, there was such a value in it. You know I I I, I would deliver yeah. papers, get money. You know I do do chores. I I get allowance. I, I I felt like I worked really hard as a kid, and that. The majority of that money went to to music, whether it was buying my tickets, buying my my albums, uh, you, you know, and and because that hard work went into getting these records, even even the bike ride, you know, it 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 the music meant. I think had had more of a value to me, where it's now. I I think kids can recognize good music, but I don't think they they value it like like we did back in no. the 70s, the 80s, even then into the 90s, you know, I there there was such a value in in music and I think that's important. I th- I really do. It's extremely important. And, and yeah, you're right. There was a lot of value to it. Um it, not only it, there was the artwork involved, the the records and then later the CDs. Now you just download things and 
everything's so corporate. I think uh, things became more watered down as the uh, iTunes thing happened. And then I, I really think American Idol on those shows have really killed any type of, uh, you know, the process of bands coming up. I remember when Steven Tyler was on um, was on the David Letterman show, and there, and when he was the American Idol judge, and and uh, David Letterman said to Steven Tyler, he goes, "I preferred the way you came up and became a rock star, not the way they're doing it on American Idol." So, right? Yeah, there, there, it was definitely a great time to be a music fan, and I, and I did the same thing. I, I worked jobs and and uh, and everything, and and my discretionary income went to going to shows and and expanding my music collection and it was more than just the music and, and i've met a few rock stars uh probably the most famous being gene simmons and paul stanley and when i met them for the first time I, I told them basically thank you because it was such an escape for me it was it was such a great uh great thing to have in your life yeah, absolutely. Cool. And we're going to come back and actually talk about yeah. about one specific artist tonight or, or two, depending how you look at it, the Plasmatics and Wendy o. Williams. Right now, we're going to get into some new music. This is by Edge of Paradise. It's called Dust to Dust. And this will be followed by my interview with Margarita Mona here on Talking Metal.
This is Mark Striegel of Talking Metal and calling in on the line Margarita Monet of Edge of Paradise. Thanks so much for speaking with us tonight. Thank you for having me. I was sent over the EP alive and... Great sound, great job with the the vocals, the pianos, the production, the guitar. Everything sounds really, really professional, really great. Let's talk a little bit about Edge of Paradise. Can you possibly give us just a short, you know, two-minute bio, you know, description of the band, maybe a little of the band's history? Yes, of course. And by the way, thank you for <laughs> I'm glad you like it. Yeah, um, so good stuff. Thank you. Cool. So we formed about five years ago uh, when I met Dave Bates. He's the guitar player in the band, and he was working. He had a band fronted by Robin McCauley, and they recorded a bunch of songs that had Greg Bissonette and Tony Franklin playing. Wow! And the songs were never got released because you know Robin went on tour with Survivor, um, Greg went on tour with Ringo Starr, so he had a lot of music left over. And we met working on a project, a totally different project for a local LA producer. And, you know, we had similar visions. Honestly, I was never into metal. My background is I'm I'm a classical pianist, but we, you know, we worked really well together and we, you know, had similar visions. So we decided to start the band and I resang the songs. And like two months later, we put out the first CD mask, but that sounds like a different band because right. I didn't write any of the songs and, you know, it was just something that we could build on. So after that, we started playing shows. We were going through member changes. And then um, later on, like uh, three years now that we've had a solid lineup with Nick Erickson on bass and John Kaminsky on the drums. So it took us a while to really, you know, form the band. And the first song we wrote together was In a Dream. And wow, that's how a great we got song. Michael Wagner. Oh, thank you very much. So, yeah, when we wrote it, we are like, you know, we really want someone great to produce it or, you know, to mix it especially. And, you know, we've always been huge fans of Michael Wagner. And um, he actually got back to us. And that's, we started a relationship with him. And he ended up producing our second CD, Immortal Waltz. And then we toured some more. We've toured like 30 states already. And we started, you know, recording more music. And this EP, Chuck Johnson produced it. And Chuck is more, his background is with corn and Slipknot. So right. that's why you're here. Um, I mean, you know, we wanted to take the direction of more um, heavier, edgier, more industrial sound, I guess. And that's where Chuck comes in. He really got those sounds out of us and, you know, also guided us in the direction we wanted to go. And, um, yes. And then we were really lucky to have, um, Jay Rustin mix the songs. He mixed, um, Anthrax. Uh, yeah. Jay, yeah. He mixed a bunch of, I mean, you know, we got really lucky to yeah. have him and Michael Wagner also, he, you know, he mixed mystery on this EP, and then we also had Mike Plotnikoff, and he mixed humanoid and dust to dust cool. uh, on, you know, two of the songs on here. So yeah, you know, we've just been at it. We just keep recording music and touring, and that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. Now the EP is alive, and that's uh, also a song on the EP. It's mm-hmm. how, how many songs is the EP? Five songs, right? Five. Five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's quite a 
bit of variety in musical sounds. I mean, you mentioned In a Dream. At times, that song to me almost has like a, a Queensryche, a progressive uh, feel to it. But the song Alive is, um, I don't know, more like kind of metal, almost at times like industrial sounds going on there. And then, uh, you know, I hear, I hear piano throughout the EP. So obviously, you said you don't come from a, a metal background. What type of stuff did you grow up listening to and how does that play well, into grew, influencing yeah. the, the the sounds i'm hearing on the ep mm-hmm. yeah i grew up playing piano so i pretty much grew up on classical music and theater and that, that sort of stuff but i always like my parents they had dvds of like queen and led zeppelin like their live concerts right. so i would watch that you know but later on i guess my I don't know, even high school days, I think I started listening to more rock, um, you know, like Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden. But honestly, I never imagined I'd be in a heavy metal band. So um, I always, you know what I really loved? I loved renditions of like, um, for example, Led Zeppelin having an orchestra do like Kashmir or something. Right, sure. So I really love that kind of epic sound. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I, that's, you know, I love metal because it's, you know, it's, it's, rock in general is music fueled by, you know, lots of emotion and it's all about attitude. And that's why I really love this genre so much. Um, but yeah, my background is, uh, you know, classical. I grew up on that sort of music. But um, yeah, I mean, as I got older, now I listen to, you know, pretty much everything I mean, except for <laughs> not cool. too much into pop or rap, but right. yeah. <laughs> Cool. And as far as the songwriting goes on on the the EP, are you you're you're doing a lot of the songwriting on piano. Um. Yeah. You know, it depends on the song. Dave and I we usually write and arrange the songs. Honestly, most of the ballads I have them written on the piano first. Dave usually starts the heavier, you know, the faster ones, like when he puts a riff on. I'll I'll just make up a melody to it and then I put some keyboards. But lately, like for this CD, I've been playing around with a lot of the industrial sounds. So, you know, some parts I just made up of sound samples and then we figured out how to, you know, transfer that on the instrument. So it it all depends on the song, really. But yeah, it's a process. Mm -hmm. Cool. And so will there be a a tour or are you guys currently on tour? What's the status of live gigs yeah well in april we have um, some shows we're going to the east coast in north and south carolina and uh in july we're going to go up to the west coast but right now i can't tell you too much because we're in the process of booking the shows okay. so i'm not sure how our, our schedule will look like but i know in september we're going to europe we're playing female metal event in the netherlands and then we hope to toward Germany and Belgium, you know, in the surrounding areas in Europe. So we've, you know, we've been wanting to take the band overseas for a while. And a lot, of course, depends on this CD. Um, We're really hoping to make it to the charts. So um, it will help us move the band forward. So I hope everything all goes well and we'll be touring much more. Cool. Well, we'll definitely have links up in today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com where all our listeners can link over and check out the new music video for the song Alive. We'll also have the links up 
for the EP, which is available on iTunes, Amazon, and all your your normal outlets. Mm -hmm. And it was actually number one on Amazon. It's number one right now in the um, hard rock and metal category. Yes, we're super excited. It's doing really good right now. Congratulations. We have one more day. (laughs) Thank you. We have one more day to get the first week sales. And we're actually doing a guitar giveaway as well. Oh, cool. So if you, um, yeah, so if people download it, just message us through our Facebook page and we'll enter in the guitar giveaway. Oh, so, excellent. Yeah, and we're also mailed it, mailing out signed postcards of the CD cover. So you have something to, you know, some physical thing as well. <laughs> cool. And the website is edgeofparadiseband.com. We'll have that mm-hmm. linked and. They have uh, bios for all the all the band members and links to the YouTube stuff. Also, everything you need is on the on the website. And I was reading your bio. It said you're originally from Europe, but it sounds like you moved to the states at a young age. Is that correct? Yeah, I lived in Moscow till I was eleven, and then we moved to Houston, Texas. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. So yeah, I'm a Houstonian. <laughs> so you were in Moscow? Yeah, in Russia. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. And then you went from Texas to New York. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. then from New York to LA. So you've gotten around quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All the coasts covering all of them. <laughs> right on. Cool. And uh, yeah, w- again, we'll have all the links up in today's show notes. We thank you for taking some time to, to talk with us here on the show today. And the best of luck to you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Um, It was a pleasure to talk to you. All right.
What you just heard was the song Alive by Edge of Paradise. My co-host on today's episode is Joe, and and, uh, Joe is a guy that you can check out on the Rock and Roll Geek Show. Do you know what episode that was, Joe? Not offhand. It was it was like two or three episodes ago. It was the one right before the Steeler, I think, um, episode. Okay. Well, the, the one of, you 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 spoke with with those guys about a lot of different stuff, but the the thing I liked hearing the most about was your discussion on on Wendy o. Williams and the Plasmatics. And at one point, you mentioned this song. And I, it killed me that they didn't play it because I I just was like as soon as you said it I was like fuck yeah that's my this has to be my favorite plasmatic song so let's get it out of the way right now and then we're gonna come back and talk about this band this is rock and roll.
off the Coupe d'Etat album, The Plasmatics with Rock and Roll. Joe, it's such a great song. Is that your favorite song off the record? Oh, by far. Yeah, yeah. well, so I shouldn't good. say by so far, good. but it's a great record. And it was produced by Dieter Dirks, who just came off the Scorpions. Oh, okay. They recorded that out in Germany. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the Plasmatics are interesting, and I'm, I feel really strongly about Plasmatics and Wendy Williams for several different reasons. Um, number one is I can't stand musical labels. Right. And I was never really a big fan of the band when they released the first two albums. Uh, and that's ironically when Jean Beauvoir was part of the band who right. wound yep. up writing songs with Paul, with Paul Stanley. Stanley. Yeah. So there was actually no connection. Yeah. There was actually no connection there through, you know, this timeline. Um, when I really started getting it, actually, I, I liked the master plan. Uh, as a song, but I thought their punk was kind of garbage. Um, yeah. There's only a couple punk bands that really mean anything to me, the Sex Pistols and the Ramones. So uh, I saw them on Second City TV with John Candy as the fishing musician, and that was a great show. And they, right. they played a, a Doom song off the Metal Priestess EP. So I bought that, and I thought it was really cool, and it was it was more metal. And then uh, Wendy O did the uh, crossover with the mo- with Motorhead. And she's actually <laughs> credited with Fast Eddie, you know, Fast Eddie Clark leading the band. Yeah, I've I've heard that. Which I've goes back that. to us. <laughs> yeah, which goes back to us seeing shows in, back in the day. I went to the Aragon show. It was like one of the first shows on the tour um, when Motorhead came to Chicago, and they had the bomber rig and everything. And Fast Eddie did not come out with them. It was this guy in pink tights and ballet slippers, and it was uh, the guy from Thin Lizzy, right? Uh, Bravo! Yeah, playing guitar, and they played like a twenty-minute set, and they didn't use the bomb bomber rig or anything, you know. And this is when you got your information through Kerrang, and you know, you you, you fed it different things. And we found out that Fast that he left left the band, and he was not happy with the recording sessions with uh, Wendy O. Williams. But anyway, that leads up to uh, the Coup d'Etat album produced by Dieter Dirks. Uh, it's just really heavy. It's full blown metal, and that's what really I, I don't like the fact that everybody just labels Plasmatics as a punk band because right. the majority of Wendy O's work was metal, and you know, uh, they opened for Kiss and Creatures Tour. Go on, sir. Yeah, I was going to say that the 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 music on the record definitely had a much more metal vibe, at least what we referred to as metal in 1983 when the record came out. However, one thing that i i thought was their look was still very much kind of punk or maybe not very much but partially punk with the you know band members having mohawks and and, and it wasn't right. it wasn't the typical metal look that you got in 1983 so which in some ways is very cool because it just showed that they had their own thing going on but in other ways it, it you got to wonder did it hurt them? You know, because back at that time, you know, I don't know if younger kids nowadays realized, but the metal and punk scene, I mean, it was a true division. Uh, I mean, this is before thrash bands kind of helped cross the, the, you know, mend the divide, if you will. You know, and Motorhead was right. maybe the first of those bands to start doing it, where you actually saw punk punk kids at... A, a rock show was, I mean, that first started happening with exactly. Motorhead, you know, so it's, it's like, 
But in 1983, it was still a lot of division between the two camps and fights would break out. And so I, you got to w- wonder like where the plasmatics kind of fit in. And I don't think they did because, you know, they, they were never truly accepted by the, the punk community at all. And no. I guess you could argue were, were they ever really accepted by the, the metal community? I, I don't know. What do you think? I think somewhat, but they obviously never had that commercial success because they were dropped by capital. Um, I think that she, uh, Wendy always had that label on her because of blowing up the TVs and using the chainsaws and everything. But during the coup d'etat tour, I mean, they still had the Mohawks and everything, but they did dress more in a leather. Um, they were going more of a, uh, it was a hybrid, right? Definitely a hybrid, uh, look and sound and and you know later on as you said later on in the decade you had you know bands like uh, anthrax doing sod and, and combining those things and then you go back to motorhead you know he played bass on a band album and the thing i always yeah there was a division between punk and metal and and i especially you know here in chicago you had naked reagan and, and right. i knew guys that worked at exit never, never really got into it but when i listened to, like the original sex pistols album that's just good hard rock. I mean, Johnny Rotten's vocals are maybe what sets it up, or if you want to call them vocals, right? That sets it apart. But you know, it's, the, it's basically just power chords and and some basic lead guitar. And I always, you know, when I listen to it, I I, I kind of melded it in with all the rest of the hard rock and metal that I listened to. So mm-hmm. I thought it fit, fit a lot into that wheelhouse um, there. But uh, as far as the plasmatics, yeah. It, it definitely had a, she had a label on her that, uh, always stuck and she definitely moved away from it. And it's unfortunate they didn't, uh, get more of attraction, uh, commercially. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, let's just talk about her, her actual look, um, you know, with practically her breasts exposed most of the time with the, you know, the electric tape over the, over the nipples for, for 1983. Uh, that was a pretty extreme look. I actually think it's still yeah, pretty well, extreme look. <laughs> you know, I'm looking at a picture of her right now. Yeah. But I mean, she, um, you know, so she, she got rid of the Mohawk after that. And when she went solo with the Gene Simmons produced album that we'll talk about, um, she grew her hair, you know, normal, but I always saw her as an empowering figure. She yeah. she she sold sexuality, but she was a strong person. You know, she was in shape and didn't take any shit from anybody. And uh, I like that. I like that a lot. And I kind of saw that a little bit. You know, this is going off our wheelhouse, but I saw a little bit of that of Madonna when she first came out too. Right. But um, yeah, I saw something very empowering in Wendy Williams and what she did on stage and and uh, what she did live. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about because here's this woman who comes out. And I mean, there's no denying her her body. I mean, at least for me, was freaking almost perfect. I mean, she she really had this hourglass figure and comes out half naked, more than half naked. Um, and yet, you're you're right. She was she was a strong figure. I mean, she wasn't like this, you know, bubble headed dits you know she was she was a, a very strong feminine figure uh so yeah definitely definitely interesting i also another thing about her you know 
now that we're not really talking about the music specifically right now, is her age and how she was not a kid either. Um, and and you look at yeah. like what was what was the last? It was the album after Wow was Commanders of Chaos. Was that what it was? Right. There was Commanders of Chaos, and then they did. Then they got back together and did the uh, Maggots album, which okay. I didn't like too, too much. Uh, Commander Castle, I thought was really good. And she was and, pushing uh, 40 when that was released. I mean, she was 30, oh, 38, 39 yeah. years old. And you look at her, I mean, she looks amazing for that age on that record. But even by the time Coup d'etat came out, I mean, let's 83, she was born, I believe, 49. So, I mean, this wasn't a 21-year-old girl either. This was somebody who had experience, had been around, um, just really unique and uh, amazing rock and roll lady, Wendy O. Williams, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so moving on, yeah, after after Coup d'etat, you, you said they toured with Kiss. You saw him on that tour? I saw him on the Creatures of the Night tour. Um, okay. I was at the University of Iowa, and we drove the two hours to Dubuque. And, uh, I, you know, in Kiss Alive Forever, and I've said this on, Kiss Alive Forever says there are 3,000 fans there. I, there's no way. I mean, it right. looked like there were only a couple hundred people there, really? but it was one. Of, it, it I, I would have to say it's probably the best live show I've ever been to, and, and the, the plasmatics were accepted well. They were not put off the stage; everybody cheered for them. And then Kiss put on a show that, it, it, I mean, you think they were putting on a show in front of twenty thousand fans, right? Instead of a few thousand, it was just incredible. Wow, and and we had no idea if Ace would be there or not. And yeah, you know. I spoke with somebody else who attended the Creatures tour. I, I, I was, my parents weren't letting me go to concerts at that age. But, the, you know, he said the same thing. He got there and they were like, who the fuck is this guy? They thought Ace would be there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were kind of, it was very vague um, as far as whether Ace would be there or not. And I remember even reading uh, one of the old fanzines. I think it was Kick-Ass Monthly with Bob Muldowney out in New York. And he interviewed Paul Stanley because that's how it low, I mean, Kiss was trying to get back into it, and he was Paul Stanley was doing interviews with underground fanzines, you know, to try to get the fans back. And they were actually talking about Ace being, you know, they were part of the promo tour, and they were talking about Rocket Ride being part of the set list. But uh, so we had no idea if it would be Ace or this new guitar player, and it was the new guitar player. So I, I had mixed feelings about that. But as far as the show, it was just, yeah, it was. I, I would have to rank it as the best concert I've ever been to. You know, it's interesting too because in in you know you mentioned creatures, and I don't want to go off on a kiss tangent here, but Ace, of course, did do the the press for it, and he was on the album cover, and you know he it sound I remember I can't remember what book it is. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. I believe it might be like the behind the mask book, one of those official kiss books from a while ago, interviews like Vinnie Vincent, all the different members. And I remember Vinnie Vincent saying that Ace was physically there in the studio for at least some of the Creatures recording, which, you know, always made me think, you know, is there is there any chance that any of his playing is is on that Creatures record? Um, but, I mean, I guess that's kind yeah, of been I... shot down and, and there isn't. But right. it's odd that he was still hanging around the studio. Well, I think that it had a lot to do with that polygram uh, deal where they right. needed three of the original members for it to stay intact. Ah, okay. But, you know, you talk about, um, 
you talk about, you know, you don't want to get it off in a tangent and kiss, but our next album that we're going to talk about yeah. is a kiss album. Right. Right. So, <laughs> so, that's so the, the W-O-W, next, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the W-O-W, you, you, you say W-O-W or I've heard some people say, wow, but you say W-O-W. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, go ahead. I have an original pressing, um, and it's W period O-W. Right. And it's got the sticker on there with special guests produced by Gene Simmons, right. special guest Ace Freely. And the bass player on the album is Reginald Van Helsing, who is Gene Simmons. Right, right. So the song Bump and Grind on here features Gene Simmons and Ace Freely. Can you name me the last time Gene Simmons and Ace Freely have played on a song together? Well, it, I, I, I guess... I guess them, probably. Yeah, yeah I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, the last time they had played on a song together... Um, not since Love Gun, really. They definitely didn't do it on Psycho Circus. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think I don't think they did it on. I mean, maybe East played on Charisma. But, yeah. Um, you know some of those songs, but well, uh, you know at what about time, what about yeah? Because I guess Unmasked is you. You don't think uh, Gene played bass on the Ace songs on on Unmasked? No, I, I've heard that Ace played all of his bass, and uh, Paul would play his bass. Wow. Rolls guys in who knows you know but um this the, the wow album i call it the best kiss album of the 80s because yeah wendy williams sings on it and she has her band on it but this album features playing by ace freely gene simmons plays bass on every song eric carr writes a song and plays on a song vinnie vincent writes the song right. you have uh almost half the songs written by KISS members, including It's My Life, which is written by Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons, and which should have been a single, and I, to this day, cannot understand why KISS never released it as a single. I think that would have taken them to the next level, um, no matter what album that is on. There was a KISS version of that um, on the box set, right? The the KISS box set they did. Yeah, and it should have been on... It's it's a hell of a lot better than a lot of the garbage they released... um, you know, since Dynasty, I'll even go back that far. Um, and then you have Thief in the Night, which is written by Gene Simmons and Mitch Weissman from Beatlemania. And, uh, you know, you compare this version to the one, the tinny version on Cra- Crazy Nights, and there's there's no comparison. This stuff's right. heavy, you know. And, and I, you know, it, it came out um, between, you know, there was Creatures, Look It Up, and then, and then this, this came out between uh, look it up and uh, analyze. And I thought this is like a natural progression from look it up. And I was really disappointed when analyze came out. Cause I'm just in love with this album. Now, do you think on the, the W O W record by Wendy Williams, that some of these songs were already recorded leftover kiss scraps that she just came in and threw her vocals over that Gene brought the master tapes down and said, Hey, sing over this. Or do you believe that they were all things that were re-recorded? I mean, was, was ACE, I mean, what year was that? That had to be like what? 84, 85 W O W. Um, 84, 84. Yeah. So, I mean, at that point, ACE was, you know, completely pretty much done with kiss is right. is uh is he is he 
like after he's already officially left Kiss, is he coming back to to play on this record with Gene, or is this is this something that Gene pulled out of the studio and it's something possibly Ace recorded years before? No, he. What I understand is he asked Ace to come in and lay down a lead, and that's just about it. Wow. And okay. you know, I. I've met Gene Simmons a couple times, and the last time I met him, I asked him who played the drums on Larger Than Life. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's one of the big questions. If I ever meet him again, I'm going to ask him about how do you get Ace Truly to play. I don't even know if he would remember or answer, honestly. Yeah. yeah. But it's a big, there's a big, a lot of mystery around this album. Um, but I think, yeah, yeah, the songs were recorded in the studio. The way I read it is that Gene, after the Plasmatics went on tour with Kiss, on the Creatures tour, Gene Simmons definitely wanted to produce the next Plasmatics album. The Plasmatics were dropped from the record company and it became a Wendy O. Williams solo album. Okay. So Gene has his hands all over this. And uh, like I said, but he, there's a song on there called, um, it's, I think it's the first song on the second side, Ready to Rock. And it's, it's written by the Plasmatics uh, members, Richard Stotts and uh, Swenson. But Paul Stanley, it's just Paul Stanley playing guitar, uh, the drummer drumming, and her singing. It's it, And it's really reminiscent at the time when they were on tour, Paul Stanley would go into this uh, guitar solo of his own. And it's really reminiscent of that. So even the songs that weren't written by KISS members has KISS all over it. Right, right, definitely. Um, and the album, not not much of a commercial success, right? No. No, it wasn't. Um, yeah. it, it got played a lot by by myself, but right, no, right, a lot. Yeah, um, you know, and it, she had the Commander of Chaos after that. I saw her live on the Commander of Chaos tour. Did she? Did she tour in support club. of of WOW? You know, I don't remember right. honestly. Right. Um, I guess I should have looked that up, but I remember I saw her on the Commander of Chaos tour, and uh, she. she that was a small club called Broadway Jacks here in Chicago um, that had great bands. I mean, I saw Rat there with 20 people in the crowd before they broke. Um, and we were up front. She was cool, man. She she talked to us. She let us uh, grab her ass and everything. And it, wow. you know, she, it, it was a great show. You know, she put yeah. she put her guitar player on her shoulders, uh, a la Angus Young and Bon Scott, and walked around the stage. It was a great show. Um yeah, but they never really had the big commercial success, and she always had that label that she was a punk rocker. And, uh, you know, from there they went on to the reunion with the Maggots, and I saw them at the old exit with that. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I didn't really... It was kind of a concept album, and I really didn't get into it that much. And then, unfortunately, she had some mental health issues that led to, uh, you know, an unfortunate situation. Right, right. And she also, you know, she did some TV work. She was in a MacGyver episode, I believe. She And she right. was uh, also the movie Rock and Roll, no, Reform School Girls, right? Was was a fairly... Reform School Girls, yeah. Big cult yeah. classic movie that came out right around yeah. that time. Um, and she had a, a, a big part in that. And also... The the song Reform School Girls, which I I remember looking for online a number of years back, and it was rather hard to find. I think it was up on YouTube, but she she recorded a, a song for the soundtrack of that too. 
Um, but yeah, what what right. a story and uh, a figure that yeah never really broke through to the mainstream, but she was just a real as as a kid. Just her her image, her look, her sound, her attitude was definitely a, a big impression on on a, a lot of teenagers throughout the the world. So yeah, yeah a tragic loss though. I mean, I, I would. I, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it's just uh, makes makes you wonder what what happened in the end. There, obviously, like you said, some some uh, mental health issues. And uh, well, yeah, you know, her life ended in what before she was fifty. I think late forties she was at that time because right. she didn't make it out of the nineties. I know that. Yeah. So. Um backtracking a little bit she did always uh pay tribute to motorhead so she did no class on uh coup d'etat and then on commanders of chaos she did jailbait right and those were great i thought those were great renditions of motorhead but then after her music career ended um i believe she went up to by university or yukon you know stores connecticut in that area and ran a health food store i believe but she had uh issues with depression, which I take very seriously. And she had a few like brutal, brutal suicide attempts. I mean, I, I, you know, like she wanted to get it done and, and eventually she did, unfortunately, but even her attempts were, um, pretty, pretty graphic. And, uh, yeah, mental illness is not something to be taken lightly. And unfortunately that's how her, that's how her life ended. Yeah. Now, now, Rod Swenson is that Swenson? Is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, what was yeah. he? He was always kind of like manager to her. Um, and right. I, and was he her partner too for a while? Were they a couple? I believe you know? so. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. What, that's always the vibe yeah, I got. I believe yeah. it was, it was with her from the beginning. Yeah. She read a she led a rough life, and uh, you know, she I I think at one time I you know she she hitchhiked and wound up in New York City. I think she was working in Times Squares when Times Square wasn't like Disneyland. It was right. Times Square back in the seventies eighties. It was all uh, adult oriented and drug addicts. And I believe he was with her, you know, as a manager and partner for all those years. And he was with her till the end right. um, with that. Yeah, do you know I, I I would love to you know interview those people about her. I think it would make a fascinating documentary um, yeah. about her life and her career and everything. I did Someone speak with Ron Rod back in the in the late '90s when I was working on a show for VH1 called the Hun- the I think it was the the hunt the 100 most shocking moments of rock and and one of them was the whole story of her arrest. Yeah, and I I, I got to talk with him on the phone and. And uh, he he seemed really because she she had died at that point, and he seemed really uh, concerned yeah. with making sure the right story was told. And that uh, he, he had mentioned to me, I remember that already because of this new thing, the internet at that time, there were things getting out there that weren't right and were becoming listed as fact on on bios that had been posted about her and he was very concerned that that yeah. what we told in this vh1 story was was done done right uh were you going to say something else no i, I think I, that's fascinating that you were able to inter, interview him yeah, um, yeah I we did, should try to track him down someone posted i i saw somewhere someone posted a recent picture of richie stats now this was the guy that the skinny awkward guitar player 
with the blue mohawk. And then when they were the punk band, he would wear a ballet tutu. And he just looks like a regular dude. He just, he's got, wow. he's, he's, he was wearing a golf shirt and has khaki pants on. He's with his wife and he's just, I don't even know what he's doing, but he just, he would never figure that at one time he was in a punk band that became a metal band. Right. Um, it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, right now let's check out a song off of Commander of Chaos that you mentioned. This is off of Wendy O. Williams, 1986 release. Again, Commander of Chaos. And this song is Jailbait. Jailbait by Wendy O. Williams. 
Joe, I just want to thank you for joining us on this episode of Talking Metal. And it sounds like you might be doing some writing for us on TalkingMetal.com. So I hope that happens and I look forward to it happening. Maybe we'll even get something on uh, Wendy or Williams at some point. Yeah, it will happen. I I just, uh, it's something I love. I love to write and I love music. I love your show. So the pleasure was all mine. Thank you for having me on. You bet. Is there a place people can get in touch with you online? Do you do Twitter or anything like that? Um, I'm on Twitter. I don't do Facebook. Uh, right. You know, yeah, you can you can find me on Twitter. I I don't do a lot of no, I I don't do a lot of tweets. But okay, if you want, it's I think it's that. Yeah, you can look up my name and I'm out there. You right, might well, find my son. Son plays baseball on the West Coast, so he's oh, right. he's uh, you might find him instead, but. Anyway, um, yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It, yeah, you bet. It's really, really an honor to be on the show. Well, thank you for, for schooling us on the Plasmatics and Wendy O. Williams. And what should we end with here? What song do you want to hit? All right, well, this is my go-to song, and, and I love the W.O.W. album immensely, and I, I, I'll, I'll stand by saying it would, it's the best Kiss album of the 80s. I want you to play Bump and Grind because it features Ace Freely on lead guitar and Gene Simmons on bass, and there's not a lot of songs since Dynasty probably they can say that about. Right on. Here it is, little Wendy O'Williams with Bump and Grind. Do you want to 